This is a Clovis Hills Community Church podcast. My name is Pastor Sean Beatty, and I want to welcome those of you that are part of our physical community and the online community. In a moment, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. But before we do that, I want you to consider giving to the ministry of Clovis Hills Community Church. You know, this podcast is now extended to just about every continent on the planet, and people all over the world are hearing God's word taught faithfully. Your giving can help extend that to more and more people. Also, remember us in your year in giving. If you want to give towards Clovis Hills, download the Clovis Hills app and just hit the give button. Enjoy the podcast. And guys, remember, go be the church. Good morning to our online community watching, listening. We're stoked you guys are with us as well. Um, it is just really fun to see. There's people from just about every continent on this planet. Eventually, we'll get penguins listening to us. But listen, um, you know, the Christmas time brings up all kinds of different memories and everyone has different things going on because we all were raised in different homes. And for some people, Christmas is like not a fun time and it, it pulls off scabs and it, it hurts. And um, the holidays, you know, they, they all kind of have it. We all have a different feel for it. I know growing up in my house, um, so I'm the son of a Marine, 32 years in the Marine Corps. He's a master gunnery sergeant. Um, no, I didn't do anything. You don't need to clap. <laughs> but <laughs> he's the one that served. Um, he actually was like, maybe you should be a pastor. Uh, <laughs> that was code for your wuss. But listen, um, no, he, he uh, fought in uh, Korea in the Chozon Reservoir on a frozen lake. It was minus 49 degrees, uh, minus 60 with wind chill and 80,000 Chinese soldiers against 15,000 Marines. 1,700 Marines survived and they wiped out the Chinese army in that battle. He then went on, he fought three tours in Vietnam. Um, so he, yeah, he's a tough dude. Now listen, a lot of people always go, oh, you were brought up in a military home. It must've been really strict. I'm gonna let you know something. I'm what my brothers call an accident and my mom called a blessing, okay? My parents were well into their 40s when I was born, and my brothers were 18 and 16. And the way I always liken it, I tell my brothers, I go, well, I might have been an accident, but here's the good news for me, is mom and dad screwed you guys up big time. <laughs> and by the time I came along, they were older, they were wiser, they had a little more money, a little more time on their hand. All you got from them was estrogen and testosterone, so it sucks for you. So. And they, you know, they kind of laugh and go, eh, it's true. Um, but I remember, you know, like it wasn't super strict. My parents were pretty, pretty easy going with me. And maybe I was an easy child. I don't think I was. Um, <laughs> some of you are like, you weren't. We can tell. But listen, I remember there, there were several times though in life where um, I didn't like my dad's rules. And I, I remember, you know, stepping up to him a couple times. And one time I got in his face like I was going to fight. And he just said something very calmly, just got right in my face and said, have you ever killed a man with your bare hands, son? <laughs> and I suddenly became very subservient because I know he had lots of people. And um, I remember around 17, 18, 19, uh, you, you know, you're starting to get that sense of independence and like you can do things on your own and, and um, I wanna do things on my own. I wanna do it my way. And um, I remember my, my dad would come along and he'd try and make me, no, that's not how we do it in our house. That's not how we do it. And I, I would scoff and, 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 um, and fight with him. And then what, I, what he would remind me is he would say, son, it's my house, it's my rules. If uh, you would like to 
go pay rent and buy your own car and eat your own food. You can go do it however you want. But as long as you're in this house, you live under my rules. You may be 18, you may be an adult, but you're not a man until you can take care of yourself. I did not like that at 18 years old, but he was right. It was his house, it was his rules. This morning, we're you're, this is a funny segue, but we're gonna read about love. Because really, I thought my dad's rules were stupid, but um, they really were for my flourishing. He wanted me to flourish and become the best man I could be. And that's why he set up those rules. It was because he, he and my mom loved me and they showed it in the best way they could. Um, so this morning, we're gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through eight. And I would love it if you're able to, if you could stand in honor of God's word and we'll read from the word of the Lord. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So if uh, you're taking notes, I want to get, get right into it. Number one is counterfeit love. And um, there's a lot of counterfeit love out there in the world. And the way you can always tell a counterfeit, my, my brother was a, um, a uh, San Diego County Sheriff for 25 years. Then when he retired, he went and became a, uh, a fraud investigator for a bank. And he uh, catches guys using counterfeit money, uh, using counterfeit checks, washing checks. He's, really, he's good at catching those guys. He, he, you know, he's, he's a cop, so he's always for everyone's flourishing, but he, you know, he, he's, he's good at catching guys trying to lie he did, for whatever reason. He's got kind of that suspicious thing going, but, but it's always for the flourishing of, the, of everyone. And um, the, way he stu- the way he learned to, find, to, to understand something that was counterfeit is he studied the real thing. He can spot a counterfeit dollar like from a mile away. He can, he can touch it and tell you, and he'll just start pointing out all the flaws in it that we would never see. He can tell a check that's been washed and, and it's been, been redone and it's, it's counterfeit. He just knows. And the way he knows is because he has studied the real thing. He looks at real money all the time. He knows how the real money's made. He knows how the real money is, um, what happens to it, is it ages. He just studied the real thing for a long time. And when you study the real thing for a long time, it's really easy after a while to start pointing out the counterfeit. As a matter of fact, the counterfeit stands out like a sore thumb when you've studied the real thing for a long time. It's the same way with love. See, when you study the real love, it's much easier to discern the counterfeit love that comes out of the world. Um, you know, we, we, I don't call this a phone anymore, it's my pocket television, okay? I get all kinds of counterfeit love te- teaching me what love is and it's counterfeit. But if you wanna study the real thing, 
You go right to, right to the source. You go to Jesus. So the, I, I want you to look at what it says in verse four and five of this passage we just read. It says, love is patient. Love is patient, driving down Willow. Today after church, anytime before Clovis North Granite Ridge starts or ends. Love is patient. Love is kind. I want you to think about that for a minute. Love is kind. Now, a lot of times we just think of kindness as, oh, you first. No, you first. You know, that kind of thing. That is kind, but that's not what, what it was referring to. I don't know if you know, but um, do you know what, what God does to, to have us um, turn our hearts toward him, to repent of our sin, of us going this way, going the way we wanna go, and, and to get us to turn our hearts toward him. He doesn't use guilt and shame, to be honest. Um, God, humans use guilt and shame. Religion uses guilt and shame all the time. I mean, churches, we're the best at it. We're almost as good as moms are, right? Moms, okay? You know, we'll be like, oh, the children's ministry really needs some people. So if you love Jesus... Because you know what the Bible says about those that turn away little children? You'll be turned away. You know, they do that kind of thing. And um, churches, including ours, sometimes can be guilty of it. One of the things we pass on in our staff and down through our leadership is at Clovis Hills, we want to have a no guilt policy. That's, that's, we feel like that's the worst way to motivate people. How many of you ate too much and felt a little guilty after Thanksgiving? few of us, right? Okay. Then you're like, you know what? I feel guilty. I need to go work it off. I'm going to, that's it. I'm getting on the program till Christmas. I'm going to start working out. And then you, you went to the gym and two days later, the guilt wore off and you started working out again. That's, that's how it works. Guilt does not motivate very well, but it says that love is kind. And I want you to understand something. Do you know what the scriptures say? That it says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God going, shame on you, not at all. It's his kindness. It's that he looks at you and he loves you and me right where we're at, right in the sinful state we're at. And when you see the kindness of what God has done for you, when he sent his son Jesus on the cross, it, what, what happens is when God's love really gets a hold of your heart, is that kindness is the thing that leads you to wanna obey God. Not out of duty, because duty will make you do something well, but love, agape, love for God is the thing that'll make you do it beautifully. So it says, love is patient, love is kind. God's kindness is what will draw you to him. Some of you here today, you're here and you're like, man, I haven't been in church in a long time. I'm feeling really guilty. <sighs> Listen, there's no guilt in this room. We want you to know God is crazy about you and welcome home. So it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. So I'm gonna repent right now. Raider fans, I have given you gas for like seven years. <laughs> I love you guys. I'm not gonna gas you anymore. I hate your team but I love you guys. <laughs> My team's worse anyway, so whatever. Um, it says it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrong. See, here's the deal with love. Lo love, um, the world sees love as a commodity. It's something that runs out. It says, I love you, 
because of how you make me feel. But if you don't make me feel this way, my love will run out and I will move my love somewhere else. And we see love, counterfeit love sees love as a commodity, that, it, that there's only a limited amount of it. But God's love, agape love, unconditional love. Remember we talked about it last week. There's three types of love in the New Testament. There's uh, one word they use, phileo, right? Phileo is a love of friendship. I phileo you, right? I, you know, Sharice is my friend. I phileo Sharice, right? There's another love. It's eros, okay? That's a romantic love. That's uh, uh, where we get our word erotic from. I don't eros any of you, okay? Lighten up, all right? Here's the deal though. But that's like a love of attraction. And then there's another love that every time it describes God's love in the New Testament, it uses the Greek word agape. And it means an unconditional love. It's a love that, that, that never runs out. And I used the illustration last week. Those of you that parents, you understand this. You have this kid, you don't think you could love another human more than this ever. And then you have a second kid and you, you think like either you're gonna have to split the love or this one's just not gonna get as much. But boom, the minute that kid comes out, your love just doubled. It went from being immensely huge with this child to even huger. Now there's two or three or four or however many you have. It just keeps growing. That's what God's love is like. It's just exponential. But counterfeit love always has conditions. See, um, and what happens is we, we buy into it because the world has shown it to us so many times. Uh, uh, last week I, I, I talked about it and I had several people come up to me and they were very concerned. Um, some were concerned about their kids or whatever and I told them, uh, you lighten up, leave your kids alone. You, okay, they're grown up, stop. Um, but I remember I had a couple other people come up to me. One was a dude and he's like, hey, listen, um, you know, you talked about uh, love and, and whatever and you said something about, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be living with my girlfriend because I am. I was like, I didn't say that actually. And he's like, well, I, I feel like you did. And I was like, okay, well, it's cool. He goes, what, what, what's wrong with that? Because I said, well, listen, I'm, I'm not here to moralize or tell you what to do, but here's what I, I want you to understand. Um, like you're living with her and you know, you're having sex with her and he turned white. He's like, how did you know? <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> you're a man. Um, <laughs> And I go, and that was designed to be done in a covenant. In, in, in a covenant between you, that person, and God. And the covenant is that you would not just become one flesh, but you would also become one um, in spirit and one in, 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 in heart and one in emotions and one financially and one all the way around. And when you're sleeping with her without the covenant, you're just enjoying the one flesh part. And the covenant isn't working right. And I'm not saying you're wrong. Here's what I'm saying. You're driving a car on one cylinder. So, listen. I love you means I'm for your flourishing. We'll get to that in a minute. But I, I, I wanna touch one, one other thing about counterfeit love. In our culture today, um, young people, you with me? You're with me, okay, thank you, listen. 
our culture is bought into this kind of lie that if you and I disagree about something, if I disagree with how you feel about something, that I either am afraid of you or I hate you. That is hogwash. I have all kinds of friends and family members that I love and love me. And we disagree about all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, I have friends that are atheists and they think I'm crazy. They think what I believe is stupid and oppressive. And here's what I know, they still love me. We're still friends. I don't think they're afraid of me. I don't think they hate me. See, somewhere along the way, we thought tolerance meant, oh, we just have to accept everything or else we're a hateful, racist person. That's not truth. The way Rick Warren said it this way, and I think it's brilliant, he said it a decade ago. He said this, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that both, or the second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And I'll, I'll take it a step further. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be loving. So don't believe what Twitter tells you. Okay, because Twitter is the master of counterfeit love. Okay, so listen. That leads me to this next one, number two. I wanna to talk to you about agape love because agape love is always for the flourishing of another person. See, God loves me so much. He, he has a plan for my life. He has a plan for your life and he is for your flourishing. He designed you and don't you think the one that designed you would be able to wind you up and give you the life that you were destined to live, the life that you're supposed to live? But here, here's what happens. See, it's always for our flourishing. And I love what it says in verse six and seven. It says this, it says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices in the truth. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we human beings from time to time do evil. Right? Anyone here done some evil? Oh, you guys, this, this, uh, this is funny. Because normally if I'm like, how many of you are sinners? You're all like, woo! Anyone do evil? Like two dudes are like, yeah. We all have, we all have. It says it always trusts, it, or it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. So here's the thing. God's agape love is for your flourishing. And see, um, God in his word has, has set up, I mean, if you wanna live in his house, you live by his rules, right? But God respects you and he loves you so much, he'll let you live outside. You know, if this is God's lane, he'll let you drive in whatever lane you want. You have the freedom to do that. You can be a Christian and drive in whatever lane you want. Grace is that big. He's that, that forgiving. But here's what I, I, I want, you, want you to understand. Um, sometimes we blame that we're not driving in God's lane, we're over here driving in our own lane, or some of us are really good at this, like we, we're, we're in God's lane, and then we're over here a little bit, and then we're over here, and we're like, I'm just gonna do the balancing act, okay? And we can be driving in our own lane, and God loves you so much, he's for your flourishing, and he's gonna be patient, he's gonna be kind, he's gonna be all of that, and he's gonna wait for you till you're tired of driving in your own lane, or it hurts too much, or it's just, 
your peace is gone and he's gonna wait patiently for you to come home. Are you done? Are you done yet? Go ahead. And that leads me to point number three. Agape love, unconditional love, guys, has boundaries to it. It's unconditional, but here's what I want you to know. Unconditional love is always for your flourishing. So what God has done is he's set up a way for us to live so that we can live in peace and harmony with God, in peace with who we are. You get the benefits of living in peace with God. You get something called joy, which I'll get into later. But I want you to think about it. This is how Jesus loves us. He'll just let you keep driving in your lane as long as you want till it hurts. And then typically the way human beings change, at least the way I change, is I do it my own way for so long until I'm miserable. And then I look back and go, oh, sorry, God. And then I get back, back in line with him because he set up these boundaries for my flourishing. And love is not just allowing people to do whatever they want at your expense as well. I want you to understand that. Ba- boundaries are an important thing. You live in, if you wanna live in Jesus's house, you live in... Jesus's terms. I have a, um, a mentor, he was a professor of mine in my uh, doctoral program, and he told a story of his son and the hardest thing he ever had to do. And um, his son had developed a drug addiction, and typically the way addiction works is that, um, you know, the, everyone is ridiculously in charge of their own choices, okay? We, we have to understand that. If you're playing Sean Beatty bingo, you just got an X, but here's the deal. You really are ridiculously in charge of whatever you wanna do. God has given you that. Every adult in here, and really children too. They're, all, they're not paying attention, so it's okay. But listen, <laughs> his mom's like, don't tell them that. Um, we're, all, we're all in charge of, of our choices. But, but what happens is um, with an addict is they kind of go make that choice to use, but there's always a slew of other loved ones around them that are also making choices that help enable that addict. And um, love is always forgiving, but Jesus is, if you're a Christian, Jesus is gonna let you sin, but you're you're gonna do it on your terms outside of his. You're still gonna be his son, his daughter, but you're gonna do it out there and you, you'll, there'll be a consequence for it. And he talked about how his son had um, fallen into addiction and um, how he and his wife were part of the process that helped him be an addict. And, and they, they, after they got some help through a 12-step, they, uh, they finally came to the place where you know, he had lost his job, he had lost his place to live, he had lost his car, he had lost everything. He had slept on all his friends' couches for the last seven months and they were all done with him because he was using and you know, stealing their stuff and doing all that. And then um, he was homeless. He came to a place where he was homeless and they went and they picked him up and it was a Sunday night and they brought him home for dinner and they let him shower and they were having dinner there. And um, he kept talking about like, man, it's gonna be really cold tonight. I don't wanna sleep on the streets. Kind of hinting, you know, hoping to play on some mom guilt to get him to be like, it's okay, you can stay here tonight kind of thing. And, and he, my, my, my professor was just gut-wrenching because um, he, you know, he knew I, I'm gonna let him stay here. I can't kick my son out. I can't put my son on the streets. And he, he was just like sick inside and he knew he was enabling him as well. And then he said, my wife did something so brave, braver than I could ever do. At nine o'clock, she said, well, you know what, son? 
it's really cold out tonight. Can I give you a blanket? Because it's going to be cold out there. Because you can't stay here until you get sober. And he said the hardest thing he ever did was look at his son's face and then escort him out the door to go sleep on the streets. He slept on the streets for a couple weeks. And you know what happened? Driving in his own lane. Eventually you drive in your own lane, it hurts. And see what mom knew is she loved her son so much she wanted to see him flourish. She drew a boundary so that he would hit his rock bottom. He checked himself into rehab. He got into sober living. He got into recovery programs. And he's sober today because she loved him with an agape love. So, so I, I need you to understand that. The story of the prodigal son. You know the story, right? The, the one son comes to the dad. Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. The father graciously gives it to him. He goes off and he spends it. He lives it. I, I don't want to live by your rules anymore, dad. That's what he was saying. I don't want to live in your house. I don't want to live by your terms. I don't like them. I feel like I will be more, I feel oppressed under your rules. I want to live in my own freedom. I want to create my own freedom. Father gives him his inheritance. He goes off and he lives in his own freedom and he does what he wants. And he, and, and he does it and he does it and he does it and it runs out. And here's what I know. When you are one of the father's children and you live your life apart from the father, eventually you will run out. You will be miserable. You may have all the money in the world, but at some point your peace will run out because your money will not buy you peace. You may have all the friends in the world and you will still be lonely because you're not living in the home you were adopted into. And I want you to understand something. While this son was out living up wild, right? Las Vegas, Lake Havasu, spring break, woo. Okay, that kind of stuff, all that. That's what I said was going on. It was Sea of Galilee, though, not Lake Havasu. But listen, he, nowhere in Luke's gospel does it say that the father ever disowned him. He was still a son while he was being a turd. That's good news, isn't it? Because all of us, have, from time to time, we can be turds, right? You can tweet that one, by the way. Um, he never didn't call him a son, but he set a boundary. I know some of you, listen, I know our lives are very, like, everyone has a different life and relational situations are not black and white. And all of this is nuanced in each of our lives. But unconditional love is always for the flourishing of others. And sometimes it doesn't feel like love. And I want, I want you to understand something about feelings, okay? Feelings, we live in a culture where we're taught now to just act on our feelings. And if I feel this way, then I must be this way. And I want you to know something. Feelings are not facts, Okay, feelings are just what they are. They're feelings. Sometimes a feeling may be true, but here's what I know about feelings. I read this in a poem recently. Um, I, was, I was struggling, I was pretty sad. And I read this poem and it, at the last line of it, it said, no feeling is final. Think about that. No feeling is final. And what that means is you could be incredibly, incredibly happy. It could be the greatest day ever. And you know what? That's gonna end. Just here to encourage you, right? 
But you also could be going through a season of depression or a season of anxiety or a season of fear or you don't know what's gonna happen next. And those are all feelings, but here's what I want you to know. No feeling is final, I promise you. It may feel like it's gonna be forever, but no feeling is final. What is final, what is right are facts. Truth is what should hold you. And you should never make your decisions based just on a feeling, but what truth tells you, what God's word tells you, what God is telling you, because your feelings will deceive you. And sometimes love doesn't feel good when you draw a boundary. Guys, I went through a 12 step for pastors twice because I can't say no to you people. And the bigger this church gets, the more I'm like, oh, okay, 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 yes, yes, yes. And it was ruining me. And I had to learn that I was codependent and it's okay to say no and it's okay to draw boundaries in your life and it's for your flourishing, to be honest. So, leaves me, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Our, our, our lives are all messy. They're all different situations, but I know I'm gonna get this question, so I'm just gonna address it right away. Um, in a case of domestic abuse, it's okay to draw a boundary, to say to someone, um, you're not gonna strike me anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna move you aside. You can get in your lane until you're ready to get this right. Like that, that is an okay thing. That's for that person's flourishing. Because you, if they're striking you, you know they're not flourishing anyways. Because here's why. Number four, you will love to the degree that you're loved. You will love to the degree that you are loved. What you are full of will come out of you. I talked about that last week. Look what it says in Rome, or 1 Corinthians 13, seven and eight. It says that love, always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Agape love never fails. So counterfeit love will fail, people will fail you, but God's love will never fail you. And if you will trust in it, it will be the thing that carries you through whatever season, season you're in. See, Jesus said this in John chapter 15. I, I, I love the the he uses a lot of metaphors. You know, one of them he talks about, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can't bear fruit. As a matter of fact, apart from me, you're just a stick that we throw in the fire. Um, you have to be connected to me is what he was saying. And look what he says in verses nine through 12. He says, as the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands you will remain in my love, right? It was just like my dad said, boy, my house, my rules. His rules were for my flourishing anyways. And then he says, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Here's the difference. Um, we all know like we can't perfectly follow Jesus, right? Like none of us in here are gonna get it right. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul even said he didn't get it right. He said, oh, God, terrible. What I wanna do, I don't do. And what I don't wanna do, I end up doing it. And, and I'm going out of my mind. And none of you feel like that, only the nine o'clock heathens, right? So Saturday night people. He says in verse 11, this is awesome. 
He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. That Jesus' joy may be in you. And then it says this, that your joy may be complete. See, we've done messages on this, but I want to remind you, joy is not happiness. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is a choice. Joy is a state of mind. Joy is a belief. Joy is something that you, you, is there whether you're happy or you're sad. You have to understand that. That when you are going through a trial, joy, joy, joy in many ways can be synonymous with faith as well too because what you're saying is, I'm going through this, but my hope is in God and I know that God has the best for me and that I know I'm going to get through this because no feeling is final, right? That God is gonna carry me through whatever season this is I'm in. And that's joy. Joy also doesn't get you too crazy when everything's going great in life because typically for me, when everything's going good in life, you know who gets credit for it? Me. I give myself credit. And, and the truth, truth is, um, I should be given the one who made me, the one who gave it, the people around me, I should be passing the credit on. And he, here, here's the thing. Joy essentially is a trust in God, a steady trust in God regardless of your circumstances. This is why it said in the scriptures about Jesus, though the joy set before him, the cross, he knew he had to endure the cross and, and he went joyfully to the cross. That didn't mean he went happily to the cross, like, yippee, crucifixion, all right, it's Friday. No. He went to the cross because he knew Sunday was coming. He had a hope, he had a different hope. And when you have a different hope, you can walk through a dark valley, right? Because you know Sunday's coming. You don't know when it's coming, but you're gonna hold on until it comes because you can trust the one who's taking you through it. So ultimately it's this, guys. You can't give agape if you don't have agape. And the way you get God's love is you receive it. You open yourself up to it. If you're a Christian, this is something you should be doing every day. You should be in prayer. You should be reading the scriptures. You should be in community. You should be filling yourself with agape, connecting to the Father. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you'll never bear fruit. So, this last part, I'm gonna let you in on some good news. It says, love does not keep record of wrongdoing. Look at your spouse and remind them of that right now. All the guys are like, is this a trick? I'm not doing that. So hold that one against me too. Love does not keep record of wrongdoing. I don't know if you know, but the, the Greek word for record of wrongdoing, it's one word, it's uh, logesisai. And that's a mouthful, but, but here, here's what it meant. When the Corinthians read that and they saw that word logos aside, they, they would know that, oh, that's an accountant's word. It's what they would use as a ledger. And see, love, agape love, doesn't keep a record. God is not in heaven. When you, when you are in Christ, when you become a believer in Jesus, God doesn't keep a record anymore of your sins. He's not like up there going, oh, I saw you fudge on your taxes, put that in the ledger. Oh, I saw how you gossiped about your husband. Put that in the ledger. Oh, I saw how you were talking about to your wife and your kids. Put that in the ledger. Oh, I saw the sign language you used on Willow right after church. Put it in the ledger. 
Oh, Pastor Sean, I heard what you said watching the Chargers today. Oh, I, you know, I remember, I, I heard you all those times you lied about how great you were when you were uh, in your 20s. You weren't, you were a dork. The older you get, the cooler you were. I'm putting that in the wrongdoing. He doesn't keep that. As a matter of fact, when you're in Christ, it's gone. The Bible says that your sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. And then when God looks at you, he looks at you like he would look at Jesus. Perfect. Hallelujah. It's good news. Mark Batterson, or I'm sorry, Mark Buchanan um, wrote a book called Hidden in Plain Sight. And um, he, he talks about a, a woman named Regine that went to his church and she was from Rwanda. And uh, she got saved reading her sister's Bible during the genocide in Rwanda. And um, she eventually became a refugee and went to live in Canada and got married and had kids and, you know, and had a whole new life. But um, she told a story to, to, to the pastor um, about, about a woman's son in, who was killed in the genocide. Her only son was killed. And um, every day, she would pray to God, Lord, reveal my son's killer. Show me who it was. Because she didn't know who killed him. She just knew he was killed. Uh, lots of people, hundreds of thousands of people were killed in the Rwandan genocides. But she just was gripped with, um, with grief. She was gripped with, with anger, with resentment, with all of that. It just was eating her away. And she would pray every day, Lord, reveal my son's killer. And one night she had a dream. It was a really weird dream, but um, she was able to go to heaven and she could hear God saying, come to me. And she, as she was kind of walking toward heaven, she noticed the only way in is she had to go through this house. And it was a strange house and she had never seen it. And it was like a Rwandan house and she didn't understand it. And she's like, why, why do I gotta go through this, this, this house to get to heaven? Lord, why, why, why do I have to do this? Whose house is this? And um, in the dream, the Lord said, this is the house of your killer. Your son's killer. So two nights later, she heard a knock on her door. And it was a young man, and he's just standing there, and he looks scared as could be. And he hesitated, and he just, then he said, I, I'm the one who killed your son. And um, here I am. I'm placing your life, or my life in your hands, because I have been gripped with guilt I've been, you could do what you want with me. Torture me because my life has been tortured since I've killed him. You can, um, whatever you want to do because I, I, make me, take me to jail because I've been a prisoner ever since I've done this. I'm riddled with guilt. Please do what you want. And see, sometimes we do that when we feel guilty. We want someone to punish us so that we can feel better about it. Receiving grace freely is like counterintuitive to us. Some of you, you think that with God. You're like, you know, you've equated God with kind of your, your earthly parents. Your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. You don't need to get hit or to be made to feel little to pay for your sins. Jesus did it for you. And you can get grace freely. And he said, he goes, here I am. I'm just placing my life in your hands. Kill me. I'm dead already. Throw me in jail. I'm in prison already. Torture me. I'm in torment already. Do with me as you wish. And see, this woman had prayed for this day. And let's be honest, every one of us in this room, there's someone we really don't like. And you've prayed about like getting justice for what they've done to you, haven't you? Oh no, not you guys. I'm sorry. I have. And oh, I know what I would tell them. 
well, I know what I would do. And they would get this and, you know, and I, I fantasize about it and I'm thinking about how I would get them back and I would show them and I would tell them what's up. And, I, and um, she, this moment is here for her. There he is right in front of her. And something incredibly strange happened to her. She didn't know what to do. And she found her own surprise. She didn't want to kill him. As a matter of fact, she wanted to throw him in jail even. She didn't want to torture him. She didn't want to do any of that. In that moment of reckoning, she only wanted one thing, a son. And she said to him, I ask this of you. Come into my home and live with me. Eat the food I would have prepared for my son. Wear the clothes I would have sewn for my son. Become the son that I lost. Guys, do you realize this? That agape lovers do what God has done already. This is what Jesus did for you and me. The Bible says it very clearly. That, that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That, that God left heaven and earth and lived a perfect life because I couldn't. And the, Bible, and the Bible says my sin has separated me from God and I can't be with God for eternity. As a matter of fact, um, my original destination was hell because of my sin. It was the consequence of my sin. I was in my own lane. But God loved me. He loves you so much. He knew that we would never be able to get it right. We'd never be able to get it perfect. That's why he sent Jesus to live in your place and die in your place. My sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And God then invited me to become his son. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean getting your act together. It means believing in the one he sent. That he paid for your sins. I want to give you an opportunity to be brave this morning. In a few moments. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. You know, you're like, well, I know I sin. Um, Join the club. But if you were to die today, where would you go and why? See, you can know for a fact. You don't have to live on your feelings. You can know for a fact because the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And here, here's what that means. It means in your heart, bowing your, 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 your knee to, to Jesus and saying, okay, I'm in. I believe in you. I believe that you lived a perfect life for me because I couldn't. And, I'm in, and, and it says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So what, what that means is when you receive him, that you're no longer in your lane, even if you're not living perfectly, God has brought you into his house. You're his son. He's brought you home. And all you have to do is receive him. And we have this tradition that when, when you do that, you get a bulb and a Bible. And the bulb represents Jesus, the light of the world living in you. And it's a way for you to kind of declare with your mouth, like I'm in with Jesus. We're gonna baptize some people here afterwards. And that's another way you can declare with your mouth, I'm in with Jesus. I recommend that you don't do the bulb and baptism on the same day because you might get electrocuted. But listen, some of you, today's the day you declare I'm with Jesus. And it, maybe it's getting baptized. If you wanna come and get baptized in your clothes, we got an extra shirt. We got towels for you. We'll do it. I'm not baptizing anyone after church. I'll baptize you in my clothes too. So we both look silly and get pneumonia. Okay, but come and do it. But for some of you, you've never received Jesus and you need to do that first. 
And all you have to do is receive him. Just open your heart. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. That all you have to do is open your door, door of your heart and then let, let him in. Why would you put it off? Today is your day. That on December 8th, God knocked at the door of your heart and invited you in. And it's your moment where you can declare it with your heart. And then I'll be up here and the band will be playing music. And while they're playing, you, you just come forward and get your bulb and your Bible. And, and it, it's super cool. Like the church cheers you on. And then if you're embarrassed, they take you over there anyways. And they don't, no one's looking at you anymore. And if you're scared and you're like, I can't do this alone, drag the person that's next to you. Don't drag a stranger, but um, bring a friend. Let them come down and support you. But what a great moment for you to tell the world, I'm with Jesus. So let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.